Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Clone War Strikes Back. Dominic coming at you here with a bit of a cold open type thing, basically to give you an explanation slash apology for why it's been so long since our last episode. Basically, what happened is we recorded the bulk of the episode that you're going to hear discussing the Rico Hardin arc at its regular time, but we had also set up an interview with one of the stars of the arc that we we're going to insert into the episode that we had already recorded. Unfortunately, the celebrity got sick and had to cancel. Uh, we're still trying to reschedule, and we hope to include this person in a future episode, uh, but that combined with the fact that both Kieran and I decided to get really busy at the same time uh, meant that this episode was kind of trapped in limbo for a while. You know, it was kind of trapped in the void from Season 5. But anyways, we've decided to release it now because we had some great discussion, and we want you guys to hear that. Anyways, uh, I just want to apologize for the long wait for this episode. We're hoping to get back on our regular recording schedule and get two episodes out in March like we normally do, uh, starting with that awesome Darth Maul arc from the end of Season 4. Uh, but now, let's get to what you're really here for. Here is our discussion about the Reiko Hardin arc from Season 4 of Star Wars The Clone Wars. This is it, my friends. The day of reckoning for the Republic. I have it from a very reliable source that everything will happen exactly as we planned. Execute your roles as you've been instructed, and you will all be immortalized in history. Not to mention rewarded with enough credits that you will never have to work again. I will let Cad Bane take it from here. Listen up. I'm only saying it once. Each device tells you your position and essential details about your part of the plot. Aren't you going to tell us how all the pieces fit together? Deron here is going to breach the shield. Moralo Eval is the getaway driver. Two of you will act as guards protecting the Chancellor. And you, Hardin, are a sniper. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! everybody and welcome back to another episode of the clone war strikes back this is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six year history of the emmy award-winning animated series star wars the clone wars we got a great episode for you guys this week we'll be discussing the uh very interesting very intriguing uh reiko hardeen arc from season four of the clone wars and joining me as he always does to break down these episodes is my good friend and co-host Kieran. Kieran, how are you this week, man? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, Dominic, and I cannot wait, cannot wait to get into these episodes. And of course, uh, we want to mention Star Wars Celebration. Uh, we're both going to be there. We're both super excited. Um, we hope to see as many of you guys there as possible, and we hope to see you 
uh, specifically Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. At, at the podcast stage, because that's where the Star Wars Underworld podcast, which is my other show, and Kieran has guested, guest hosted on that show many, many times. Um, that's where we will be doing our live show from Celebration. And it, it just plans to be, it just, it's, it's just going to be so much fun. So that's Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. It's, it's about an hour long. We're going to do a SW Clone Wars Strikes Back fan meetup after, after the fact. So you don't want to miss that. So make sure you're there. 10.30 a.m. Saturday, Saturday, uh, that'd be April 18th at the Anaheim Convention Center. And be, be, be come on down to Celebration for the whole, whole experience. And, uh, but before we get into, the other the episodes that we are here to talk about this week we want to tell you about something else that we've been doing uh we just launched a new show about the hbo series game of thrones so we just we just want to let you guys know about this this new series that we're doing this new podcast that we're doing it's called the watchers of westeros uh you can find new episodes on itunes by searching for the watchers of westeros and you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash watchers of westeros and right now what we're doing is kind of the same thing that we do here uh with clone wars but we what we're doing with game of thrones and we're going back and we're re-watching the first four seasons we're doing it five episodes at a time which is a uh, hefty challenge but uh i think we're up to it i think uh, the first episode is out now uh, talking about season one, episodes one to five, and we're going to be recording the second episode as soon as we're done recording this. Uh, but no, this does not mean the end of the Clone Wars Strikes Back or anything like that. We're going to run the shows uh, in tandem for the next little while as as uh, Game of Thrones runs on HBO and as we continue to go back and, and relive the Clone Wars because, you know, it's two great shows and hopefully two great podcasts to go with them. And so uh, we highly recommend that everyone checks that out. And uh, we would greatly appreciate it if you do. All right, let's get into some Clone Wars stuff. We're, of course, we're talking about the Reiko Hardeen arc from Season 4 of the Clone Wars. Kieran, do you have episode descriptions for us this week? I do indeed, Dominic. And we'll kick off with the first episode in this four-part arc titled Deception. When the Jedi learn of a separatist plot to kidnap Chancellor Palpatine, one of them must go deep undercover as a hardened criminal to extract information from the conspirators. The second episode in this four-part arc is titled Friends and Enemies. Fleeing across the galaxy with criminal fugitives, a disguised Obi-Wan, Cad Bane and Moralo Ivar are tenaciously pursued by Anakin and Ahsoka, who have no idea they're chasing their friend. The third episode, sorry, in this four-part arc is titled The Box. The disguised Obi-Wan accompanies Cad Bane and Morello Eval to Sereno, where they enlist in a brutal competition with other bounty hunters from around the galaxy to determine who will participate in a plot to kidnap the Chancellor. And the final episode in this arc is titled Crisis on Naboo. The Chancellor travels to Naboo to preside over a public ceremony guarded by Jedi Knights. Dooku and his bounty hunters, including an undercover Obi-Wan Kenobi, launch their kidnapping plot. So this is a this is a very compelling arc to say the least. It deals with a number of big themes. And uh, for me personally, I've become very much endeared to it. But I will ask you this question, Dominic. You usually ask me this every other <laughs> every week, every other show. So 
what were your thoughts upon viewing these episodes initially and have your inclinations towards this arc revised and changed over time? Yeah, this was an interesting arc because when this arc was coming out, it was, uh, you know, very near the start of of me really being uh, involved in, in Star Wars fandom in sort of a more... You know, for lack of a better term, more involved way. I was just get I was getting involved with the Star Wars Underworld at the time, so I was really watching the the fan reaction to it, and it was it was a very interesting arc to to watch the fan reaction to it because it, it it again it's one of the early four part arcs, so we're still getting used to the this concept of you know really Clone Wars being a story told over four weeks instead of individual stories that kind of tie together, which is sort of more what they're doing on on Rebels. Um, and so it was interesting to watch the reaction to certain episodes and, and the twist in the, in the fourth episode, I, I know there were some people that were un, unhappy with it, but for me, I, I really like this arc. I, I think it's, it's a very interesting setup to, you know, build it up as if it's a story about Obi-Wan Kenobi, about Obi, Obi-Wan, but then you realize at the end, it, it, Obi-Wan was just a pawn in this story. And really it's a, it's a Palpatine story more than anything. It's a, it's a story about Palpatine. Um, testing Anakin and testing Anakin's loyalties. And we really see in this arc some, some discussions between Anakin and Palpatine that are very reminiscent of what we see in episode three. They are very similar. And you could almost see if things had gone differently, if, it, if Anakin was in a slightly darker place, then this could have definitely have kicked off Revenge of the Sith. This could have been the story of Revenge of the Sith almost because, uh, just, just the way that Palpatine puts these ideas in Anakin's mind about him or about the Jedi Council not trusting him, and, and that leading to this rift between Anakin and Anakin getting that realization that Palpatine was right, the Jedi didn't trust him, Obi-Wan didn't even trust him, and it's a, it's a really important arc, I think, from that sense, into understanding Anakin's character, uh, and why Anakin made the decision in Episode 3. It's not just, you know, all of a sudden, he doesn't just all of a sudden realize the Jedi Council don't trust me, there are a series of events that lead up to it, and this is one of those. So I, I do quite enjoy this this arc. But but what do you think? How how have your impressions of it changed, if they have at all? I I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you state that this is really a Palpatine Anakin centered arc, and what's so compelling and and just what's so intriguing about these episodes is that when you first watch them and you're watching them chronologically from deception up until the box it seems as though it's a bounty hunter centric Mm -hmm. and actually even halfway through the crisis on Naboo episode at the first half I should say it seems as though we're focusing on Cad Bane, Morala Weaval and a plot to kidnap the Chancellor which has been conceived by Count Dooku and and we don't think there's there's any real uh, linkage to to the Anakin and Palpatine relationship, mm-hmm. but it really is, and I think that it was a great idea to put to execute it this way, and the fact that we can focus on such a such an important arc for Anakin and Palpatine through the lenses of of Obi or through the perspective from the perspective of Obi Wan Kenobi and the bounty hunters was actually very very. It was. It, it worked incredibly well, I have mm-hmm. to say, and I'm, I'm. I am a big fan of this art. When I first saw it initially, I thought it was fantastic, and I don't think my thoughts have really changed that much. I think that particularly when you watch it all together, 
it just works so well. And I think that I, again, the, the Cad Bane in this arc is, is, is still one of my favorite characters in the Clone Wars. And he certainly shines. And the, in his interaction, the dynamics between him and, and Rako Hardeen, yeah. or Obi-Wan undercover were just, it was just phenomenal, really. Yeah, and, I have to... and it's another kudos to the Clone Wars mm-hmm. team, isn't it, Dominic? Yeah, yeah. I have to, you know, I just have to say that this arc overall, the the brilliance of it, is that it really shows you the way Palpatine manipulates people because it does that to you. This arc, like you said, it builds up as if it is the Reiko Hardin, Cad Bane, Count Dooku, let's kill the Chancellor arc, but really, it's all about Palpatine's putting this this plan in motion to test Anakin to put put him and Dooku in a room alone together which is not which you know I mean they do meet several times over the course of the Clone Wars but it's it's not really an easy task for Palpatine to also be there and to witness this happening because Palpatine you know he he thinks you know being there obviously gives him a better chance of success he can place ideas in Anakin's mind as we see in Revenge of the Sith you know Anakin was not going to kill Dooku I firmly believe that Anakin would not have killed Dooku had Palpatine not been there i think dooku would have been taken hostage uh he would have faced trial he would have you know he may have been executed after that but i don't think it would have been anakin in that moment slicing his head off like that but because palpatine was there saying kill him anakin kill him we got you know and that was sort of the the first major leap towards anakin turning to the dark side and so this this is all about palpatine's machinations and him setting this up you know making the jedi think they've won when really He's won. He's got, he's got what he wants. He's got Anakin and Dooku together and he's going to see, um, if Anakin is ready. He's going to, or if Anakin is even worthy because that's the thing. If Dooku kills Anakin, well then, you know, Anakin was not worthy. And Palpatine knows, you know, Palpatine's not going to protect Anakin. And I think Dave Filoni says this in the, uh, in the bonus feature about this arc in the video commentary on the Blu-ray that Palpatine's not protecting Anakin. He's just there. He just wants to see if Anakin is, is ready, and if Anakin dies, then he knows that Anakin would never have been ready, that Anakin would not be worthy of, of becoming the next Sith Lord, of becoming Darth Vader. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with your points that you raised there. I think that that's what's so fascinating mm-hmm. about this arc is that I, the way you put it there, he's, Palpatine and, has really manipulated us as audience members, and I think there's distinct parallels with the Revenge of the Sith in that respect, that mm-hmm. when this plot is finally unveiled to the audience, it's too late. It's been set in motion, and we find out at the very last moments, the same way that the Jedi find out about Palpatine's plot at the very last moment. It's too late then. It's too late to change it, and it's only really by the skin of their teeth that uh, through Obi-Wan's intuition um, and shrewdness that he's able to recognize that they had missed something there that uh, Dooku was actually listening the whole time. Um, but there we go. In Revenge of the Sith, where's Obi-Wan Kenobi? He's nowhere. He's, he's, he's in Utapau, not on Coruscant. Yeah. There we go. That maybe, that maybe that was it. If Obi-Wan had just stayed on Coruscant, he could have stopped a lot of this, if I'm being honest. But anyway, we're gonna go, we'll go on a Revenge well, yeah, of the well, Sith rant another day. Well, that's, but we w- that's the thing. Oh, sorry, it, jump it, in. Yeah, though. I was just going to say, but that's the thing about this arc, is that... If Obi-Wan had stayed away, we may have gotten a very different conclusion to this fight. And, you know, Palpatine, that's part of Palpatine's plan was to get the Jedi to go, to, to leave. And he didn't count 
on Obi-Wan figuring out that this was all a plot. He didn't count on Obi-Wan being the detective. And I, I think there are, there are multiple parallels we can pull, um, in this arc bet- uh, between Obi-Wan and, and Sherlock Holmes, um, specifically the, mm-hmm. the BBC version of Sherlock and what happens at the beginning of this episode and what happens at the end of, uh, of the season two of, of, of BBC Sherlock, um, just, you know, faking death kind of thing. Um, but, uh, you have, Obi-Wan figure out the plot that, wait a minute, this was all a setup that, you know, this wasn't all, this wasn't about kidnapping the chancellor necessarily, what, or that it was about, it was about thinking, making, fooling the Jedi into thinking that they, they had won. And he figures that out and he goes back to, to face, to join Anakin in facing Dooku. And that ultimately is what saves Anakin from turning to dark, to the dark side in this episode. You know, that's the thing. This episode, what's so great about this arc is that he comes so close to going dark in this episode. We could have, you know, we could have saved a few more, few more, uh, few more seasons of war of, uh, <laughs> if, if Anakin had just turned so many clone lives could have been saved and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so that's why this is something, this is a learning experience for Palpatine. He has to, if he wants to turn Anakin to the dark side, he has to have, obi-wan be as far away as possible so he's so he he you know he lets the jedi jedi council know that grievous is on utapau knowing that they will send obi-wan and not anakin and so he and so he's able to get anakin alone and lo and behold lord vader rise you know (laughs) it's just identical really there's so many examples of this that we could really cite uh, particularly in episode three to be honest this duel in a way um is as you said it's equitable to the duel in episode three had obi-wan not been there and mm-hmm. in the same way that at the beginning obi-wan was well in, in in this arc he was unavailable he was um he was investigating um but he left it left anakin duke and palpatine alone the same way that in episode three on, on the Grievous's warship, uh, Dooku took Obi Wan out of the game straight away, and it was just Palpatine, Anakin, and Dooku again. Yeah. And you, that you was almost it, really. It's just it's just isolating Anakin, and that's exactly what Palpatine success is so successful at executing throughout the well, particularly in Episode Three, I should say, particularly in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Well, you almost wonder in that duel at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith if that was part of Dooku's prerogative, if Palpatine told him, look, there's going to be this fight and I, I want to see what young Skywalker looks like. Maybe, you know, telling not, not necessarily letting Dooku in on the fact that he thought he would be a good replacement. Maybe thinking, maybe thinking he could be the new Ventress or, or Savage Press, or maybe, maybe it was almost an issue of a challenge to, to Dooku that like, you know, this guy is there. Uh, I'm thinking he might be a good replacement for you. Kill him. Um, but I want to see you fi- fight him. And so that was part of Dooku's prerogative was to get Obi-Wan out of the way as quickly as possible in that fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we've we touched upon Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think we'll, we'll put it back to this part. Yeah. And, um, I do, I do want to get back into the story revolving around Anakin, Palpatine and Dooku towards the end of, of this podcast. Sure. But let's, let's start off with Obi-Wan Undercover. And really... I want to get your opinions on the on on the idea of Obi Wan going undercover and the notion of actually faking his death, <laughs> because for for audiences who have seen the films, people know that Obi Wan doesn't die, and they know that when he gets shot by that sniper, um, and then you see the scene later in the of the Jedi funeral, you're thinking to yourself, well, he doesn't die here, so. So so what is what is going on here? And, and then we find out that it's really a setup that's been conceived by 
Mace Windu, Yoda, and Obi Wan um, in order to impede this plot to kidnap yeah. the Chancellor. So I'll ask you first: what, what did you make of this concept? And and really linking onto this, do you think the idea of a Jedi faking his death or her death is showcasing the way in which the Jedi have really changed their policies and principles throughout this war? Because it's quite a dangerous assignment. Yeah. That's, that's my thought. Yeah. Least, it's, what, it, what, what did you make of the idea of Obi-Wan going undercover um, through faking his death? I, I thought it was cool. I, I like the concept of of the Jedi going undercover and, and doing undercover work. And this was – I think they pulled it off very well. I, I mentioned the, the Sherlock connection. It is right out it's, – it's very similar to what, what Sherlock pulls at the end of the episode, the, the Reichenbach fall with you know, faking his death in plain view of his friends so that – you know, they'll, they will buy his death and sell it to the villains. And that's essentially what Obi-Wan does. And, and so to do that, really, it is quite awful, an awful thing to do to, to Anakin and to Soka and, you know, to the, all the other people at his funeral, like Padme and Satine. Clearly they, they had no idea what was going on. I'm sure Bale didn't know and Plo Koon probably didn't even know. Well, Plo Koon might have known because he's on the council. Um, and then there's that great conversation between Yoda and Mace and they're walking down the hallway and Yoda's going, to a dark place, this place, this is taking us. And Mace is like, yes, we decided that the only way to get this done is for a Jedi to die. And so, you know, us as fans, we're going, we, you know, we're sort of wondering, fans who have seen the movie, I should, movies, I should say, we're kind of wondering like, okay, well, how are they, how are, what, what are they playing at here? How did Obi-Wan fake his death? Why did Obi-Wan fake his death? And, and we're, we're asking those questions. Uh, but but they they did it really well because if if there are kids who are watching this who haven't seen the other movies who maybe have seen episodes one and two uh, but haven't seen three four five six and they're just watching the Clone Wars and they they just witnessed the death of one of their heroes and now here are Yoda and Mace walking down the hallway talking about killing a Jedi as if it actually happened and and then you know it doesn't it you know it turns out that Obi Wan is still alive and and. You know, I, I, I like that concept of faking his death so he can go undercover. I, I, I also, the, the line Yoda says about, you know, to a dark place this will take us. I think that was really interesting as well because of course, you know, part of that, you know, from a, from a writer standpoint, part of that is to, you know, throw the audience off the, off the trail to make them think that Obi-Wan is actually dead. And that's what's the dark place they're going to is that, you know, they're willing to, to kill one of their own in order to, in order to save or in order to pull off their mission. Uh, but what it really means, and as we find this out, you know, when we find out that Obi-Wan is still alive, is that the dark place they're going to is that fact that they're using the emotions of Obi-Wan's friends to sell this. And they are not letting them in on the fact they're going to let Anakin and Ahsoka and Satine and, and all these people who love Obi-Wan suffer in order to sell sell it to the villains that obi-wan kenobi is truly dead and in order to pull off you know what is really an important mission saving the chancellor but it's still it, it's a dark place that they're going to and, and as we've already talked about they got really close to to losing it all because of what they did because they didn't they didn't trust because they didn't tell anakin and that made anakin feel like he was not trusted by the council by obi-wan kenobi and that almost, almost led him to the dark side in this, in these episodes. And, and so overall, the concept of, of Obi-Wan going undercover and, and, and this whole, the way it was all played out was, was really brilliant, I think. I would definitely agree with that. 
I think it's just fascinating that the council will be prepared to actually execute such an assignment. Yeah. Um, particularly, as you said, um, the, the fact that it's going to it's going to lead to the suffering of so many of his beloved of his beloved friends and and and, and Jedi folk, yep. namely his apprentice and, and, and Anakin's apprentice, Satine, Padme, all of these characters in order to uh, in, in order to stop the kidnapping of Chancellor Palpatine. You think, how, what, what was the why did they decide this in a war room? Why, why, why was it this plan yeah. and not something else? Were there not any other ideas that were seemingly capable, that, that were seemingly reliable or, or workable in this situation, and that's something that I was—I would like to be privy about—is—is is, is why this plan of all plans was yeah. the one that was executed. And to me, what it demonstrates is that the Jedi are prepared to go down such a dark path, really, um, in order to get results. Yeah, and it's, it's just demonstrating again this this common theme and thread throughout the Clone Wars, which is the fall of the Jedi Order, and, and we and we do see this exhibited in a number of ways throughout these episodes in particular yeah. we, and i also i also think linking on to this and i'll let you jump in in a second Dominic, yeah. is that there's a quotation that obi-wan says in deception and don't worry i doubt you have this one <laughs> and he says um, he quite likes playing the villain yeah and i think that's quite interesting as well the fact that obi-wan has actually becoming endeared in, in to this role almost and and surely you think if you were a Jedi Knight, you would. Why, why would you enjoy being this bounty hunter? And we see that at the beginning, he he has that fork and stabs the the carcadon <laughs> in the hand. I mean, for a Jedi, I think that's that's relatively dark. I would say, yeah, you know. Um, and he's prepared to go through this, um, and and to to the, to the limit really to to the highest limit of what you would say is extreme for a Jedi. Um, and I think that I think that that, that was quite an interesting pop point for me to raise and 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 i'll let you jump in about the other point as well but linking on to that i think i'd like to ask do, do you think that obi-wan really showcases authentic characteristics of rako hardeen the bounty hunter are there actually clear similarities between rako hardeen's persona and how obi-wan portrays him yeah well i'll get into that in just a second i just want to comment on, on something else you said about the the downfall of the jedi order and that's something that we talk a lot about on this show but we tend to talk about it in, in very abstract terms and like you know this is how you know this th these acts contribute to this bigger thing that contributes to this that you know the public stops trusting the jedi order the senate stops trusting the jedi order anakin stops trusting the jedi order in this this arc and Again, this kind of goes back to the other thing we've been talking about, and we'll, we'll, I, I promise we'll get into Obi Wan <laughs> in just a second. Um, in this episode, we see the ramifications firsthand on Anakin of this deception by the Jedi Order. Of you know, they sacrifice their morals, they put Anakin through hell, thinking that his best friend is dead, um, only for him to find out that really this was a plot that he was left out of. That's one of the things he talks about in in Revenge of the Sith. He, he was left out of a plot to overthrow the the Chancellor, and you know, on the one hand, that may seem ridiculous, but then knowing that this happened, that he was left out of this plot um, where his best friend is going to be fake murdered, it it adds up a lot more. So, I, I, again, I, what I really like about this arc is that it shows 
the ramifications of what happened uh, of the uh, of the Jedi using or losing their morals in such a, a, a firsthand way by showing it in Anakin right away. Um, as for Obi-Wan playing the villain, you know, I, I think it's all an act. I think Obi-Wan what has been around some of the, the absolute scum of the universe. I mean, we know he has, he's hung out with hut. He's, he's seen the huts. He's been with Cad Bane. He's, he's done all of these things. And so he's probably picked up on some things, some traits and, you know, he's getting to, to sort of do these things that, you know, as a Jedi, he would never get to do. And his line about, you know, oh, I, I, it's fun to be, to be the villain, the villain, the villain, it's fun to be the villain. Um, he is, a. Uh, I, I think it's more just Obi-Wan's, Obi-Wan's sensibility, his, his almost, his, his somewhat dry sense of humor at times, um, that, you know, he, you know, sometimes I'm sure there are members of the Jedi Order like Obi-Wan that would love, that would love, love, love to, to really go crazy, but they are so committed to the Jedi way that they will not, that they will, you know, stay serene. They will stay being calm and being Jedi-like. And so this is a little bit of a, an, an excuse to, to let loose a little bit. And while that may be fun, I don't think it, it necessarily means it, it's a character flaw in, in Obi-Wan because we see that ultimately he is still acting more like Obi-Wan than Reiko Hardin. Or is it Reiko or Racco? I, I never know. Um, because, you know, even in the box, he's constantly helping the bounty hunters. He's focusing more on, on helping them than competing against them. You know, it's, the box is supposedly an every man for himself! Uh, challenge, but really we see Obi-Wan kind of helping everybody. So, you know, he, he, the, there's a lot more, if, if there is a little bit of similarities between Reiko Hardin and, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think there are a lot more differences and, and those differences shine a lot, uh, a lot brighter than the, uh, than the similarities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I would agree with you on that, on that front there, Dominic. I, it was just a line that stood out to me, really. Yeah. I was thinking, well, what, what does this actually say about Obi-Wan? But yeah. I agree, actually, uh, the points that you've enlightened upon. That I mean, a lot of council members and Jedi would enjoy actually having the opportunity to play the role of uh, of, uh, of a non-Jedi or mm-hmm. of a bounty hunter and, and just live a different life, really, getting that opportunity. and It's definitely something which... Obi-Wan champions and seems to endorse throughout these episodes and I think you can understand why that would be the case. Yeah. yeah. And and we we talked we talked about Obi-Wan and, and and his characteristics and 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 his motivations as it were throughout throughout this arc um um but linking on to that is is of course the bounty hunters and of course we say at the beginning that the the plot is linked on to Palpatine and Anakin really but Still, the focus, particularly in the first three and a half episodes at least, is towards the bounty hunters, and mm-hmm. and we get introduced to quite a, a broad range throughout <laughs> throughout this arc. To be honest, more so I would say than any other arc yeah. in the Clone Wars, and I think it's really exciting. A lot a lot of fans are endeared and and and, and f- towards the bounty hunters. They find them very likable, and and there's just something about their their temperament, their demeanor, the idea that they're at these individuals out there who are looking to uh, accumulate wealth through bounties of, of people. It's, it reminds of people, I think, of the old Western films, if you see yeah. that, when you have the poster of, of the wanted for <laughs> however much reward. And, and to have that running through the galaxy is very, very exciting. Uh, but the first thing we see in the Deception episode, which involves a, a mass 
and the range of bounty hunters is in that Republic prison. And oh, it was quite interesting to actually, for the first time, witness it, bear witness to it from a, a, a prisoner's perspective, as it were, that mm-hmm. we're Obi-Wan and we're, and we're actually inside the prison. We see what it's like to live there. Yeah. I've, I, I don't know, what, what did you make of the Republic prison and, and seeing characters like Bosk and, and Boba Fett? Who were obviously who, who appeared in that episode? What did you make of the of the Republic prison? And and linking onto that, do you think that the notion of clones dispatching cellmates to different cellmates uh, to, to sorry uh, yeah to different cells, uh, like when Hardeen was transferred to Eval's cell mm-hmm. in order to conspire? Um, their plot does that show a corrupted republic system as well oh yeah absolutely i think it's it's very interesting because we tend to think of the clones as you know they, they follow orders unconditionally we've seen what they're like in battle we've seen you know how noble they can be but i uh, you know you wonder if having these clones being around these criminals uh causes them to to lose some of their their morals much in the same way that it does kind of happen in 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 real world world prisons with some of the guards. I'm not again. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. But I'm not making a general statement about prison guards. The vast majority of prison guards are are excellent who do a incredibly difficult and challenging job. I can't. I couldn't imagine being a prison guard. But you know, there are just like in any any situation in life, there are a few bad eggs that or bad apples that you know, will take advantage of things for their own benefit. Uh, and, and so we kind of see that with the clones that we tend to think of them as, as the, the heroic noble people, but when they're around criminals all the day, all, all the time, surely some of them are going to let some of their more, their, their less likable traits out. And we, we know that there are clones that aren't all that great. We, we've seen some of them in, in, we've seen traitor clones and, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's, it's not, and deserter clones and, and, you know, you can see how some of those traits that, you know, maybe are, are, are noble or have noble intentions elsewhere can be manipulated by criminals like Morale Oival or Cad Bane to, to, you know, make it so that they're, they're just, that they're willing to allow these sort of prisoner transfers at Morale Oival's request because he will make them rich or what have you. Does that make sense? Am I, am I or am I? Do I need to clarify that? No, I, I, I think it makes sense. But if you, you, you're welcome to expand on it, if, if you would like to. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I just sort of go over it just to kind of sum it all up. What, I, what I'm saying is, you know, we know that there are traits about clones that make them less likely to completely follow orders and, and be, uh, you know, the soldiers we always expect them to be, and that causes them to do things like betray the betray the republic, like we saw going all the way back to the hidden enemy or even, you know, desert the Republic going back to, um, the deserter and, and those intentions in other situations, like the ones we saw in, in, in those episodes, like the deserter, those may be good intentions and noble intentions, but that kind of mentality that, you know, they, they aren't necessarily these good, 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 you know, perfect soldiers, um, can be taken taken advantage of by people like Moralo Eval, and that's why they're willing to allow uh, Eval's request to have Hardy and transferred to his cell. That's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at there. And and just overall, the Republic prison, I thought it was very interesting to see inside there, and it was great to see Boba again. I love that they brought back Boba's theme. That 
you know, <laughs> that, that, that sort of creepy version of Boba's theme, that the evil version that, you know, we, we heard back in season two, whenever he was talking with Aura Singh, I, I thought that was really cool to see. And of course, Bosk, it's always nice to see Bosk in there, uh, you know, kicking butt. And, uh, just, uh, overall, it was, it was nice to see those characters again. And, uh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're fun characters to see. Absolutely. I think that having having these characters in the episode just adds something to to, to, to the legitimacy, I think, of the mm-hmm. series as well, that we have, have these legacy characters who yeah. are put into these episodes. And again, it was only a minor role. He was paid off by Cad Bane to create a diversion which would facilitate the escape of Morala Ival and Cad Bane and they would start their mission to to heading off to Sereno. Yeah. But it just it's just great when you see those well-established characters in the saga, such as Bosk and Boba Fett, and actually seeing a continuation of their storyline as much as Bane's and, and Obi-Wan's and Anakin's storyline as well. Um, because, of course, the last time we saw Boba Fett in the series was when he was put into prison at the end of season two, yep. to which many people thought was quite an anticlimactic moment for his story and feared that may never see him again. But we do see him in this episode, and actually, people may not realise, but there was I remember there were images cir- circulating the internet uh, upon airing of these episodes of Bosk and Boba escaping along with Cad Bane and Moralo Ival and many other bounty hunters. Which then makes so much sense when we see them in the next arc, yep. and they're out, and they're on, they're on the godforsaken planet of Tatooine, <laughs> and, and, and they've got their syndicate of bounty hunters colluding with them. Um, and I think that it's just little touches like that which I think are always effective in these episodes because you can't, you don't always have the time to focus on these characters, and that was evident in the prequels. That was evident in. In, in the Clone Wars and in Rebels as well. So just having little touches like this of of, of viewing Boba Fett and, and, and Bosk even playing the most minor role in these episodes, I think it was still just absolutely fantastic. And linking on to that, the, this notion of corrupted Republic system, again, I think that was so evident um, uh, already that there is, a, there is this malfiescent, crooked system which is exemplified for the fact that they are led by a Sith Lord um, and I think that the idea of inmates being allowed to craft and coordinate these plans and, 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 and conspiracies is just another illustration to the audience of the fact that that the Republic prison isn't as secure as one would think and actually yeah. you could really use that as a tool to cause a lot of chaos and mayhem. Um, chaos and mayhem, which, of course, the Sith are always eager to endorse, as it were. Yeah. And we've mentioned him a lot. We've mentioned him a lot, this character, this this well-renowned bounty hunter, <laughs> the notorious, nefarious Cad Bane. And I've said it before the show, or I said it at the beginning of the show, he is one of my favourite characters in the series. For me, uh, there, uh, I know there was a recent list of the top ten bounty hunters in the Star Wars universe that was released. Uh, there was a video on yeah. StarWars.com. 
And I completely concurred with their decision to actually put Cad Bane as number one. Because I do think that in spite of the cult following surrounding Boba Fett, and at the end of the day, we don't see enough of him, in my opinion. Whereas in Cad Bane and the Clone Wars, we see him fighting against Jedi. We see him kidnapping Jedi, uh, kidnapping Force children, um, and leading in this arc a a bounty hunter crime syndicate to kidnap and abduct the Chancellor of the Republic. And And succeeded. They were almost successful. (laughs) Well, they they, they did. They did to an extent. And they would have succeeded had Dooku met there, you could argue. They would have have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling Jedi. Sorry. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's... That's very apt of you to say that, to be fair. I like the linkage to Scooby-Doo here. Scooby-Doo. I'm not going to say Cad Bane is anything like the villains you see on Scooby-Doo, though. Let, let's Rossi. give them a bit more credit than that. <laughs> but I'll, I'll ask your opinion. And two main questions here is, um, well, obviously, what did you make of his character in this arc when, when we see that his, his storyline really evolves from just breaking out Morala Vival in his prison and getting paid off to actually leading this group of bounty hunters um, to kidnap the Chancellor. Uh, so, so yeah, what did, what did you make of his storyline? And do you think it's really his demeanour, as it were, his personality has actually evolved since season three, or are we just seeing a continuous, a continuous uh, persona of Cad Bane, as it were, throughout, throughout the series? Yeah, I, I think what we're what we see is is Cad Bane as, as a, just a as a continuation of of what he was. You know, he's this well renowned bounty hunter. He is the best of the best. Um, it would be fascinating to see a story set in the Dark Times era where he and Boba go after the same uh, bounty, and we can end the uh, debate once and for all. No, I don't, I don't want to end the debate, but you know, I'm sure that would just add more fuel to the fire of uh of who would who is who is better boba or bane and i'm sure if you had someone like dave filoni working on it he would give a it would give an answer but not really you know you could still argue of, over who won who won the bounty uh, the bounty hunt um but yeah i i think I, I agree with everything you said about bane being just a phenomenal phenomenal bounty hunter and a villain he, he really fills some fills the shoes in in the uh in the story of of the Clone Wars, of being this this total, uh, of being this amazing bounty hunter who is who is all around all around successful, and I think the fact I think Dooku recognizes this. I think you know Morala Weval may be a very sadistic, very evil person, but Bane is the one who gets results. Bane, um, you know, he he's the one who is always successful, whereas Weval um, sometimes. Sometimes it kind of feels like Val falls a little short, and you know, that's I think that's part of his character. He is very sadistic. He likes to plot things, but he doesn't always think them through as as well as he could have, and he always he doesn't always get the results that he wants. And and in this arc, we also see a little bit of of Bane almost having some kind of code or some kind of bounty hunter's code, where he he saves Rako Hardy and he saves Hardy and Rako Hardy and or whatever. Here, answer me this. Is it Reiko or Racco? I always say Reiko. Yeah, but... I see, say Reiko, but I kept he- I keep hearing people say Racco. So I don't know. Okay. I mean, was it was it Dooku who said Racco Hardine? Racco I think Hardin. it was him, wasn't Racco it? Racco Hardine. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't say Reiko. But yeah, if 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 in doubt, we'll just we'll just stick with our Reiko. I'm sure okay. 
if people if people want to actually spell out how we pronounce this, <laughs> then you are welcome to do so yeah. on our Facebook page. Yes, but <laughs> linking on to that, uh, and I'll, I'll let you continue yeah, talking about gonna... it in a second. But yeah, I, I, I do think that for me at least, Cad Bane represents what fans believe Boba Fett was in the original trilogy. Yeah, um, and I think that Cad Bane really fills the shoes of a prequel Boba Fett in that respect. Yeah, I mean, sort of that that prequel era, uh, most powerful bounty hunter. Absolutely. In terms of the cult following as well. Yeah, I, oh, yeah, I mean, sure. I, I think that again, Cad Bane does so much more than Boba Fett ever did in the original trilogy. <laughs> so much more. But yeah. I think that the, the at least the, con- the the concept of this notorious, this skilled and deadly bounty hunter that is what we that's what what is on show really. Yeah. in the Clone Wars with Cad Bane. And I think it's what people believe Boba Fett was supposed to represent. And I think a lot of people, again, this is not me lambasting original trilogy or any, any any fans, really. But I think some people misinterpret how much Boba Fett really accomplishes in the original trilogy. Yeah. And I think part of that is linked on to the fact that he captured Han, he captured Han Solo and... He's got this really cool Mandalorian armor, but apart from that, I he doesn't he doesn't do enough in my opinion to actually to actually warrant this this uh, you know this this merit this credit of him being this all powerful mighty bounty hunter. Uh, whereas I think Cad Bane exemplified in these episodes when he fights toe to toe with Anakin Skywalker and Ahsoka at the end of Friends and Enemies, again, it just demonstrates to me that Cad Bane is the ultimate bounty hunter, at least in this period that we're considering. Yeah. Well, I just want to touch on what you're saying there about, about Boba in, in the, uh, the the original trilogy era. I think that, 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 that is interesting, and I definitely see where you're coming from. I think the thing we have to keep in mind about, about that, especially being a prequel era kids, is that uh, that... that in the original trilogy, there wasn't anything else to go on. They were just going on what they saw in the film. And Boba really does what the Empire failed to do for so long, which is find and capture Han Solo. I mean, you know, sure, he gets help from Darth Vader and a legion of stormtroopers. But, you know, we just watched a movie and a half of the Empire desperately trying to catch the Millennium Falcon and catch Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and having absolutely no success at it. I mean, they chase them into an asteroid field of all places and they still can't get them. They, you know, not even the asteroids can get them. And so it's, it's a, it's a huge deal in that sense. And that Boba was the one to finally capture the Millennium Falcon to capture Han Solo to capture Princess Leia. And that I think is what is sort of led people to believe he is the, uh, the ultimate bounty hunter. And, and I think, you know, we just haven't seen enough of him in that era to know for sure if he was the ultimate bounty hunter, because, you know, really what we've seen of Boba on screen in the clone wars and in, in attack of the clones is him is him in his early days is him learning how to be that guy. And so when he does show up in the original trilogy, there is a huge gap in between there. We know where he's come from and you know, we know where he is. There's a missing link in there. And I feel like things like 1313 or even the bounty hunters arc from, from what would have been season six or seven of the clone wars, um, 
those things are, are hugely important to understanding this character. And, uh, and it's why I'm very much against any, um, attempts to retcon Boba into being someone else in the original trilogy era. I think if you want to make Boba Fett a mantle, kind of like the dead pirate Roberts in the princess bride after the fact, after return of the Jedi, you know, somebody takes up the mantle once he's dead. I think that would be interesting. I think that could be cool, but I, I'm so against, um, anything happening to the Daniel Logan, Tamura Morris and Boba Fett in, in, in the dark times era or the original trilogy era that would make him someone else by the time empire happens. Because I think that, that completely undoes, undoes, undoes third times the charm guys, third times the charm, um, undoes anything that, that we have seen here. And I think that would be a huge mistake. And I think what I would prefer is for them to continue working with that character Show us what you have from the uh, Bounty Hunters arc. From what we understand, that was, arc was pretty much done. Um, that 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 there's stuff from that that's that's done. Um, whether you put it out as an unfinished story reels like they did with the Utapau arc, or put it out as a novel or a comic book like they're doing with, with the Ventress stuff, or they did with the Darth Maul stuff, put out that story. Uh, put out the story that would have been thirteen thirteen, or or you know adapt, change it somewhat. Put it out as a novel or a comic. Obviously, they're not going to make the game, but but do that. Put in these 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 other stories and, and continue to build up this character. So when he does show up in Empire, it, we we fully know for sure he is this total badass. He is the best bounty hunter, and it makes sense. And then if you want to do something different, if you want to cast Michael Fassbender as Boba Fett, like one of the rumors suggests, then do it after Jedi and do a, a, a post Jedi story where. Oh my God, Han Solo meets Boba Fett after he fell into the Sarlacc years. And, you know, you have this sort of thing like Boba Fett was supposed to be dead. How is he alive? And, and you get into sort of the passing of the man- mantle. And then you can do a man with no name story, which a lot of people would like to see. And so that's, that's where, where I come from with, with this whole Boba Fett thing is that I love the character that they have built up in the prequels and the Clone Wars. And I would hate to see something happen to that because I think it's, it's a very, uh, interesting story that we got to, um, by the time of, uh, by the time of, empire and and you know to see how much he has grown um and you know if you want to do something else after that um like i said then then do it post jedi uh yeah, but anyway anyways that, that was all meant to say this um i think back in the day because there was nothing else there weren't any other stories about bounty hunters or boba fett and the fact that we saw him com- complete the ultimate task which was capturing han solo he captured our hero. Han Solo has been our getaway driver for the first film and a half of the original trilogy. I mean, you know, that's really, I mean, that kind of diminishes Han Solo, but Han Solo has really come through and saved the day multiple times and avoided capture like a, like a boss, like a boss. Um, and, and, uh, then here comes this guy who captures him. And I think that's what built Boba up as the, as the top bounty hunter. And, and, and yeah, that that's where I think the original trilogy fans are coming from. And I think that's a very understandable sentiment. And, you know, now that we've seen other bounty hunters, it's easier to say, well, maybe he wasn't necessarily the best. He was just a really good one. Um, but I think, you know, you can really tell a few more stories about him and have him, again, reclaim the mantle of being the best uh, and going out going out there and, and, you know, being top dog and, you know, I would love to see a Boba Fett versus Cad Bane story or a Boba Fett versus Aura Sink story. I think there's lots of potential for this Boba to do some interesting things that will, again, put him on top, put him number one again. Exactly. I think that that's something that really needs to be exhibited. And 
whether it's put into, say, film format or even novel format. Uh, of course, we we hear we continuously hear the rumours of this Boba Fett standalone film. So I think that there's definitely some there's some credence to these rumours, yep. and I think eventually we will we will get to see an expansion of of Boba Fett's character. But we'll come back we'll come back to Boba Fett more. I think mean, next yeah, next, time, next time, obviously <laughs> with with his uh, um, episode you know, with his interaction with, with Asajj Ventress, which would be interesting yeah. to talk about. But uh, we'll get back. Get back to this this arc and talk about another bounty hunter, and we've mentioned him before, Moralo Evil, voiced by Stephen Stanton. Yeah. Stephen, the uh, great, our, our good pal, the great Stephen Stanton, did a phenomenal job voicing Moralo Evil. And and if you absolutely. guys if you guys haven't heard Stephen's uh, Moralo Evil bedtime stories, uh, I don't know I don't know how available those are anymore. But every now and again, Stephen posts all of them on his on his YouTube or his Vimeo. And you should, you, if you can seek them out, absolutely seek them out. I think you can catch them on old episodes of, of Rebel Force Radio or the, or the Force Cast, um, back when Jimmy and Jason were hosting it. Um, and you can find those and they, cause they are absolutely, uh, hysterical. You know, they start off as, as Morello just, you know, sort of telling bedtime stories from his cell and he's telling, you know, some of the strangest and the more sadistic, uh, children's stories that you will ever hear. And then he escapes from prison. He goes on the run in a TARDIS that is, that, that's chameleon circuit is not stuck as a police box, but as a Winnebago, uh, while travel. So he goes on this, these adventures in that while traveling with a star Wars celebrity book club, uh, or celebrity star Wars book club, I should say made up of Sir Sean Connery, um, Christopher Walken and former president George W. Bush. And of course a Dalek. Um, and, and it is just absolutely hysterical. So you guys got to check that out because, you know, you see Morello in the, in these episodes and then to hear that voice going on these absolutely insane adventures is, is phenomenal. And, and Steven voices all the characters in those and it, it's absolutely hysterical. You, you guys got to check it out. I completely echo your sentiments there, Dominic. And by the time this episode is released, he will also be voicing a well-known yeah. <laughs> OT character on a show called Star Wars Rebels. Yes, that's true. We, we, we can only... We we, we can, can only we, shout and say that you should listen to it. Uh, listen you should to watch it. it. You should watch it. Watch Rebels. Call watch to it. action Monday. Well, this, this episode comes out on Wednesday, so it, it should be available on you know on iTunes or, or wherever you watch watch TV. And and it is uh, I've seen it. It's so good, you guys. It's so good. And Stephen does such a great job in that episode. Um, so yeah, check I know it out. What I'm for doing sure. after this podcast. Yeah, exactly. As soon as this is over, Karen's gonna watch it and then call me again. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll save Rebels discussion for another time, yes, and another we'll day. talk about Stephen Stanton's role then as voicing Moralo Eval. Yeah. And what, what did you make of his his character and demeanor throughout this song? Because I think his his story is quite interesting. How the trajectory actually changes throughout these four episodes. He really has this it's, – it's really an inverse to Cad Bane's story in the sense that Morano Ival starts off as the leader of this operation. Mm-hmm. And yet by the end of the arc, he's the getaway driver. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you've got, you've got Cad Bane at the start and he's just there to break out Morano Ival. And he becomes the, the hegemon of this syndicate as I talked about earlier. Yeah. So I think that's, that's quite interesting. And, and uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about how, how – Moralo Eval's story actually evolves throughout this arc. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to watch because 
you know, Morello is built up as this, this, this evil criminal who, who killed his mother when he was a child because he was bored and, you know, this evil mastermind. And I, and he is definitely sort of a, a, a sadistic kind of mastermind. He, he builds the box for crying out loud. And, you know, the box is, it's pretty horrible. And, you know, there, you could, you know, not to make a Game of Thrones reference, but you could draw some comparisons between Morale Yuval and, and King Joffrey. Check out Watchers of Westeros, facebook.com slash Watchers of Westeros. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, he's, he is sort of that sadistic, evil character who takes pleasure from being evil. And, you know, for as much as Bane is a bad guy, I don't necessarily get the, get the sense that he's having fun while he's being the bad guy. He's doing it because he's good at it and because he wants... He wants money and, you know, he wants to build up his reputation. He wants to be feared. I don't get the sense that he's having fun. Evolve, you get the sense that he's kind of having fun with all of this. And, and that's kind of a, a similar feeling you get from, from Joffrey. Um, but with, 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 with Evolve, he is, you know, like you said, he starts off as, as the mastermind behind all of this and he's really just playing everybody. He's not paying these guys. He's, he's really, he's really pissing them off and he's getting to the point where, you know, he's not succeeding the way that people kind of want him to succeed. It's kind of a lot of all talk, but no substance to what he's doing. And when that happens, Dooku kind of calls him out on his bluff and says, okay, okay, buddy. Okay, buddy, you're out of this. Dooku would never say it that way, but you know, he's, he would, he kind of replaces him and, and puts Cad Bane in charge, which is probably the smarter, smarter decision. Cause I mean, cause you know, like we talked about Cad Bane is, it's the best of the best right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's the best of the best right now. You compare him to Morale Evil, then yeah. <laughs> there is really no um, comparison in that respect. And it just, I, I, I think that the box is the is the principal episode where we see Morale Evil's. Uh, I, I, I guess it's 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 the tipping point really. It's the breaking point with which we, we've seen that he's conceived this great plan and then it all just falls down around him. It just collapses um, in the, his power and his influence and, and his leadership qualities are found out as, as being quite incompetent, if I'm being honest. And he's unable to actually create any, really a challenge for these bounty hunters. And, and I think that, well... While I say that, I also think that regardless of really what would have happened in the box, I don't think he would have led this campaign. I think that Dooku had an idea of who would lead this mission as soon as Bane and Hardeen had arrived, if I'm being honest. Well, but that's, here's the thing. But, here's the thing about because, the because, box. Because we'll, we'll move on to the box as well. We, we, we could put this into discussion as to what was the actual purpose of the box. Because I don't... I mean, it, it, it's, it's explained quite well in the Dave Filoni commentary yeah. when he states that it's not a genuine attempt to select five bounty hunters. In fact, it's predetermined. Yeah. And and I, I, I'll throw it to you. What were your thoughts about... Yeah, what What is the purpose of the box? Why has Morale Eval constructed this, this uh, I guess, test for these bounty hunters? As you said, it's seemingly a genuine attempt to select five bounty hunters from this process, but is there something else to it? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it. You know, Dave Filoni mentions that it's more about trying to discover if there is a Jedi in their midst or if there is a traitor in their midst, 
and we get that sense from from this adventure that you, you know they the Dooku kind of realizes something is up with with Reiko Hardin, and as a result, he he bugs Hardin's Hardin's uh comlink so that you know it, it which I I kind of I I, I kind of wonder if there's a bit of a plot hole here in that if if Dooku knows that Hardin is Obi Wan, is that why he doesn't show to get the Chancellor? Like, was there a slightly different plot going on? I think that when Count Count Dooku puts that comlink in there, it's because he wants to listen into what Obi-Wan is telling the Jedi. And then it's it's interesting to see whether he would already have double-crossed them. But to me, I would say yes, because the plan was conceived by Sidious and Dooku that they wanted to isolate Anakin. And they wanted to have just just him and the Chancellor ready so that he could uh, kidnap kidnap Palpatine. So I think regardless of what would have happened, I think that Dooku would have abandoned those bounty hunters there. Right. It was merely the whole purpose of it was a diversion. Right. So really what for Dooku, the, the point of, of bringing her, uh, Obi-Wan along and, and bugging him is then to ensure that Sidious or that, that, that their plan is going off. Right. That, possibly yeah like, possibly like that, why not that's the fact that, that he's telling the jedi what they should be well um, yeah that the jedi he's oh it's to make it's to make sure the jedi are, are buying into their deception yes, okay exactly okay that's you know exactly it, it is it. a it, yeah that could have been i think that could have been explained a little bit better um yeah but because uh, clearly clearly dooku doesn't trust hardeen he, he realizes something is up he doesn't quite i don't you know i don't think he quite realizes that it's that's obi-wan kenobi who is who has infiltrated this whole event um but instead but he he realizes that there's a jedi who's who's involved in this and you know this is his this is this is his and his master's chance to make sure that what they're doing is working and you know maybe maybe dooku doesn't know necessarily that this is a test for anakin maybe dooku just thinks this is a chance for him to kill anakin for this is a chance to you know get rid of the, one of the key figures in the republic because you know dooku for as much as he is a Sith Lord and he's in on Palpatine's plot to, to take over, he is also a political idealist who wants to kind of overthrow the Republic. I think, I think that there's a, I think Dooku's a very complex character in that sense that, you know, he, he would like to see, see change. And, and maybe he thinks that part of that will involve the separatists winning the war. And so killing Anakin or, or killing this key Jedi, or maybe he just thinks it's a killing a key Jedi that will, you know, you know, cause you know, Anakin could be, you know, if Dooku and Palpatine go together to, to overthrow the, the you know, to take over the Republic, turned into the Empire, Anakin could be a, a big problem for them. So maybe that's what Dooku thinks is going on here. He doesn't necessarily know about the test. Um, well, he says, doesn't he? He wants to, he wants to bring the Republic to its, to its knees. Needs. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about that's the thing about Dooku is you're never quite sure with what he's up to. Because, you know, as for as much as he is a political idealist, which he is, he leaves the Jedi Order because he doesn't believe in it anymore. He doesn't believe in the Jedi Order or the Republic. And so he, he definitely is that political idealist. But he's also a Sith Lord and he's helping Sidious take control of the galaxy, turning it, turn it into, you know, rebuild the Sith Empire. And so we're kind of stuck with that. We're, we're kind of in this position where, you know, what? how much is Dooku – how much is this – is Dooku just kind of putting on a show and saying we want to bring the Republic to its knees just to, to – Playing this character of Count Dooku, the political idealist, the the leader of the separatists, when you know really he is Darth Tyrannus, and so he's you know he's playing this character for everybody else. So the bounty hunters think this is what's going on. So the so the separatist council thinks this is what's going on. So the separatist parliament thinks this is what's going on. 
you know, I'm sure this for the separatist parliament, it's a slightly slight variation on that character, but you know, it's, it's, it's this, this idea that, you know, it's not the real, not the real Dooku, you know, it's, it's sort of same kind of, same kind of thing with, with Sidious, you know, Palpatine is trying to do quote unquote good in the Republic. And that's sort of the, the mask that he wears. And it's only when, and when Anakin turns to the dark side that he really unveils his true evilness. And that was shown very visually in Revenge of the Sith with the transformation thanks to the Force Lightning. Exactly. Exactly. I think, as you said, he is a complex character, Dooku, and we learn throughout this series that he's more complex than first appears because he has his own plans to overthrow and supplant Darth Sidious, and he probably wants to create this new order Mm -hmm. where the Republic has been destroyed and dismantled in replace of his new empire and and, yeah. and run it the way he believes it should be run. So I, I, I do think that learning about Dooku is always fascinating. And we all, we, we keep saying this on the show, but there needs to be some novel or, or film about. about Dooku because he is just Star so Wars Dooku by James Lucino. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I, it better happen. That's what I'm going to say. So <laughs> I, I, really, I really do hope Hope it, it comes to fruition. Linking onto this, the box, the purpose of the box, as you, have you as you well noted, the the purpose is really to sense the who in in the ranks of the bounty hunter group who is the who who is the traitor, who is yeah. the Jedi. It's it's the aim is to sift out a Jedi, and it's really this whole deception that's been concocted by Dooku. And this whole bounty hunter element is a whole misdirect. And it's only really in hindsight that we're able to actually comprehend that fact. Because even yeah. throughout the box, you still go along with the story that, yeah, this box here is to test these five bounty hunters. And if any, if there's, say, six bounty hunters that survive, then one who isn't capable will be eliminated. But, that, but then when you look at it from our perspective, that again just corroborates the fact that this is all predetermined. The fact mm-hmm. that if anyone survives here who, in quote-unquote, doesn't have the skills, i.e. is not on our list of five bounty hunters, <laughs> then you're going to bite the dust. Yeah. And it's the same way at the beginning of the box episode when Hardeen and Bane join in uh, jo- join in uh, the group of bounty hunters, join with the group of bounty hunters who are partake- participating in the box challenge, that... Dooku says we have all the contestants we need and he yeah. says that after Bane and Hardeen arrive so again it just adds to the fact that this is quite predetermined and I'm pretty sure that you know Palpatine would have alluded or, or well certainly did mention to Dooku that there may well be a Jedi in the midst of this bounty hunter gang um, and I think that just adds again to this manipulative side of the Sith and how the the real purpose is shrouded and shrouded in darkness and mystery. Yeah, I think that was that was played off very well in these in these episodes. To be honest, um, do you want to touch upon anything more about the box and the concept before I I move on to to my next topic? Yeah, I, I just think the box is it's just a really cool concept, and it, it it's very you know it, it really shows the sadistic side of Eval that he's just having so much fun tormenting these people basically, and I, I think it, it's really interesting that they. Or that they have Dooku clearly has a, and, and Yval and I guess everybody who's in on this plot of having the, the five bounty hunters, they have a, a lot of faith that these bounty hunters are the best of the best because there's the, the, the whole thing that the Parwan has to be able to, to, to get through the, uh, the ray shield by, 
by taking the the needle, the injection. And you know what what would have happened if he had failed? What if they had all died? You know, did did Dooku and Evol have a backup plan ready? It, it, it's very interesting that way. It's a it, it's a it's a very uh, you know it raises some questions, but it, it was a really cool sequence of events. Uh, and, and you know it raises some questions about you know how well thought through this plan was for Evol and Dooku. Um, but clearly it worked out. So maybe it was very well thought out. But yeah, just that overall, that action sequence inside the box. So cool. So cool. Oh, it was amazing. And I did like that silhouette of Count Dooku on, on the walls, yeah. as it were, when Morallo Evalen and Reiko Hardin, um, enact their final confrontation. And then the music as well, the chorus in the background. I think that was one of the highlights in this particular arc, but also the series is one that certainly stands out to me. And, I, anytime chorus is introduced, particularly into Star Wars, you know that it just it just adds the yeah. epicness without with lack of a better term to to the <laughs> scene, and it it was pulled off so well in that episode. Linking, well, we're going to move on to a different topic now. I think we're going to finally get into the crux of Palpatine and Anakin. And we, we, in fairness, we talked a lot at the start about the Palpatine and Anakin relationship. Yeah, but. Let's focus first of all on the scene in the office in the episode Friends and Enemies. Mm. And it's revealed to Palpatine that the bounty on the fugitives has been removed. So this is when the bounty hunters are all on now Hutter and Obi-Wan wants to escape and go to Sereno but doesn't want any of the authorities to get on their backs. And so the Jedi Council agree to this. Um, and Palpatine's says something to the effect of, you know, do you think it's really a wise idea to do this? And and it's only when the hologram, the transmission ends, that we see Anakin is also in the office. And it's just, again, playing with Anakin's strings as though to say, I'm on your side here, Anakin. Why are they removing the bounty on the on the fugitives? Yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted to get your opinion, really, of that on on that scene and, and what you really made of the, of the interplay and the dynamics between... Palpatine and, and Anakin in that office. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that scene is so reminiscent of Revenge of the Sith. You know, just everything that happens in that scene with, with, with Anakin and Palpatine. You know, Palpatine is, is placing these ideas in Anakin's mind that they don't trust him. They don't trust him and his emotions. And Palpatine is, you know, he's telling him that they don't trust you because of your emotions. But I realize that's why I should trust you. I realize that's what makes you special. And so he's, he's, He's really planting these ideas in Anakin's mind that the Jedi don't trust him, but he does. Palpatine trusts Anakin. You know, he really wants Anakin to think that. And like I said, it, this comes to a head later on in, in, in the episode when, you know, Obi-Wan reveals that it was his idea not to, uh, not to let Anakin in on the, on the thing. And although it's not, maybe it's not necessarily a trust issue between Obi-Wan and Anakin because this idea was planted in Anakin's mind by Sidious. He thinks that Obi-Wan doesn't trust him. He thinks that Obi-Wan doesn't trust him and that really gets to him. And, and you know, Obi-Wan is supposed to be his best friend, his brother, his, his mentor. And to find out, he finds out or he thinks he finds out that this guy doesn't trust him. This guy who he would follow in, in, into, he would follow to hell and back basically. And all of a sudden he realizes, oh my God, this guy doesn't trust me. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Obi-Wan does trust Anakin. I think he was thinking more just about selling this to the, to the bad guys and just getting a natural reaction out of Anakin is better than, than having to rely on Anakin being an actor. 
Um, but I, I think that Obi-Wan probably would have, pref- I, you know, in most situations, Obi-Wan would trust Anakin with everything. But Anakin doesn't realize that because Palpatine has placed this idea in his mind. And what is really, you know, a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mean tactic, but it's a good tactic of getting these natural reactions out of people, um, you know, is replaced to thinking that, oh my God, he doesn't trust me. He, I could have been in on this, but I, I, I wasn't. And instead, you know, he's going to, that just draws him even closer to Palpatine, draws him further away from the Jedi and closer to Palpatine. Absolutely. I think that that office scene is just, as you said, the parallels between that scene and what we see in episode three, I'm thinking in particular that scene where, Anakin has the the schematics um, up on screen. I, was, it, I, I don't really know how to describe it perfectly. Um, but Anakin walks into the room and then Palpatine says, they don't trust you, Anakin. The essential power is too strong to control. And that's the, that's, the, that's the revelation of Sidious at that point. And you can see there that he's just, he's just backing Anakin and he's, he's showing his compassion and support which we you know is a facade, but he's portraying this benign, generous, kindly old figure who and, and mentor to Anakin, and I think that that scene really encapsulates it. And it again just adds to this fact that we're coming closer to the end of the war. We're coming closer to Revenge of the Sith. And had the events played out differently, had Anakin actually killed Count Dooku, then as you said, we probably wouldn't have seen a last part, uh, another year or however long of the war. The war would have ended at this point. And I think that's what's so, it's just so ex- exciting to see, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I think the, the fact that <laughs> yeah. we're so, we're coming so close to the end of the war, but the at any point, at any point the really, the Sith were ready to, to yeah. launch and, 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 and and to put their plan into into motion, as it were, the power team was ready. Everything was set in stone. The, che- the pawns were all in position, and it was just waiting for the final spark, the final trigger. And he was so close to doing it in this arc. And I think it's absolutely fascinating. And, and we'll come on to the final twist, the plot, after this part. <laughs> and, and this is like the penultimate section I have here. Um, so that, that'll be sorry. That'll be in the final section. The penultimate section I want to focus on is the relationship between the Chancellor and the Jedi, and yeah. I think there's a very, very interesting, compelling scene that we bear witness to in Friends and Enemies, and it's that scene when Rex is talking with Windu outside of Palpatine's office, and we talked a, bit, a little bit about Rex, didn't we, last arc? And we were saying yeah. that maybe Rex only trusts certain Jedi, and Windu says. Where's Anakin? And Rex says, I can't say. And, and Windu replies and says, you can't or you won't. <laughs> and then that's when Palpatine walks out and they have their discussion about, you know, I've decided to put Anakin on that hutter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, do you think that, again, this is just sowing the, the seeds of the center are surfacing? More, I would say, from the Jedi's perspective to the Chancellor, because obviously then we know the Chancellor hates the Jedi, he's a Sith yeah. Lord. We don't need to necessarily go into that. But at least from the Jedi's point of view, I mean, this is really the seeds of the rift and friction between the Jedi and the Chancellor on show here. I see. I, I don't think the Jedi trust the Chancellor in general. I think that's that's part of part of the issue here is that they are 
naturally distrusting of politicians. I mean, we hear Obi-Wan saying as much in episode two. And so I think there's that problem right away is that you have, you know, one guy on one side who hates the other side um, purely and, 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 you know, based on his history and, and this order that he is a part of. And, and it, if I, basically for religious reasons, I guess that that'd be one way to put it. And then on the other side is you have these, these, these people who aren't trust, who don't trust this guy because of his profession, because he's a politician. And so you're in just this bad situation where the Jedi have probably become jaded from having to deal with corrupt chancellors over the years. I mean, we know that Valorum was, was corrupt. The, his predecessor was probably corrupt and his predecessor before him. And, you know, there, there's probably been a long line of corrupt chancellors and that's led to the Jedi just being distrustful of all politicians. And as a result, they, they, they're naturally suspicious of this guy. They don't think he's a Sith Lord, but they also necess- don't necessarily think he has the best intentions in mind. Perhaps they think he's, he's into war profiteering or, or something that he just wants to keep the, the war going because it will financially benefit him. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. And it's obvious, isn't it, in the Revenge of the Sith that the Jedi don't necessarily trust him because he's a politician but i uh, for me this scene i thought was was different from what we've seen previously in the clone wars the sense that there is really a rupture between the policies of the jedi and the policies of the chancellor Mm. and it it didn't it's not like it blew out in all proportions but it's the fact that you could see palpatine says you know i i i see that you're trying to um, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to react to the situation, but you're not being proactive about it. You're not going out there to stop these fugitives. I mean, of course, Palpatine really knows what's going on, but um, he, you know, he, he's just putting the seeds, sowing the seeds of dissent. I think, and I thought that was just really compelling to see that he, you know, he is willing to stand up for Anakin as well, and uh, and and the jet. I don't necessarily have an answer to it. And from their point of view, now it, they they launch with saying going down this dark path and yoda says anakin might kill reiko hardy and you're thinking oh my goodness me like mm-hmm. th- this is all gonna go complete soon and and i i just thought it was intriguing to see how that that conflict between the jedi and and the chancellor was becoming a lot more over than we've really seen i think there were subtle hints but i think it was far, far more in the open in this episode and also the rex line i thought was very compelling we talk about rex and he didn't really have any any other line or any role in this in this arc but just i thought it was interesting what we talked about before rex trusting certain jedi rex was not willing to divulge anakin's location to obi uh, to mace window yeah I, a similar I, way that, that anakin necessarily wouldn't want to well, Anakin is <laughs> and Mace Windu aren't the best buddies. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's um, putting it mildly. I see. I I think the thing with Rex, maybe it was a little bit of of his recent experiences, but I also think that he probably got an order from Palpatine, and we know that that Palpatine's orders override all. He is the commander in chief. He is the the top dog in the Republic. So if Palpatine tells Rex, no, don't tell anybody where I'm going, or or, or what's going on here. Or even if maybe if, if even if Anakin had ordered that to Rex, and you know Rex is loyal to Anakin and and not not the Jedi. Um, exactly, yeah. that's the point. I was uh, you articulated it better than I did in the sense that it was really the fact that Rex is loyal to Anakin and the Chancellor, yeah, uh, more so than to the Jedi Council. Yeah, I think that's 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 the that's the interesting point to to raise there more importantly and it's something that we'll later see in the ahsoka arc the difference between the military 
and the Jedi. And again, there's just that the seeds there are in and set in motion. And so the final point I want to touch on as we as we come to a close in this in uh, this roundtable is that is the final scene here. We've got um, well, with Anakin, Palpatine, and and Dooku, and we've had that scene uh, earlier in the episode between Obi Wan and Anakin where they have their resolution as it were when anakin well anakin has already found out by this point that uh, in crisis of on naboo that obi-wan is alive and he is as reiko hardin and anakin blames the jedi councils and he says well how many lies have i been told by the council even though it's obi-wan who says it was my decision he doesn't yeah. say obi-wan it's your fault he says it's the council's fault it's the how do you know you even have the whole truth and it's just that the sense that a lot of this aggravation and indignation within Anakin has been caused by the council. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it just, again, represents this this, this conflict within him uh, between uh, being this Jedi and, and, and being loyal to, to the policies and, and, and the code. Um, yeah, at the same time, he seems like he's being undermined and undercut by the fact that the council don't trust him. Yeah. And in turn, that's only going to lead to thoughts and feelings within himself surfacing of distrust and uh, and and dishonor towards the council as it uh, as it were um so you know that, that that again is just feeding in feeding in more thoughts and feelings with anakin that he should be more loyal towards palpatine and the council um but so you could certainly comment on that dominic but i, I was going to ask you how far do you how far away do you think Anakin was at this point in this arc from defeating Dooku and ascending to take up the Sith mantle as Darth Sidious's apprentice? How close are we, in your opinion, from an Anakin that was capable of defeating Dooku? I don't know. Or, 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 would, or would he have been able to if yeah. Obi-Wan didn't get involved? It, that's, it's a very interesting question. I, You know, I, I, I think that I I still feel like Dooku kind of had the upper hand. I I, I do think he he did did have the upper hand. And you know when when Obi Wan joined Anakin, you know you realize by in that moment how much further along Anakin has come and and, and Obi Wan as well because when they fought Dooku in Episode Two, they they were separate and it was disastrous for both of them. For Anakin, Anakin then fights Dooku a couple other times where he loses. He quite clearly loses. And in this one, he, he seemed to be a lot more evenly matched with Dooku. It was, it was a closer fight than we're used to. And, you know, clearly Sidious was enjoying this whole thing. He was enjoying watching it. Um, I, I still think Dooku probably would have wound up with the other, with the upper hand slightly. Um, but just the fact that Obi-Wan show, showing up and joining Anakin means that Dooku is going to lose is the, uh, it seems to me to be that, 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 the indication of, of how much Anakin has grown and 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 how much more powerful he is. And so when they when they do finally meet in Revenge of the Sith, I mean they'll have at least one more meeting between now and then in uh in season six. Um but when they do meet in Revenge of the Sith, Anakin is finally at the point where he is ready to overthrow Dooku. Absolutely. I think that 
it's so interesting to compare this Anakin to the Anakin of Revenge of the Sith and the Anakin of Attack of the Clones. As yeah. you said, there's, there's so many matchups with Anakin and Obi-Wan versus Dooku. And I know that's come under a lot of criticism by people who state, well, remember when he says that line in episode three, oh, my powers have doubled since the last time we met count, then what, why are we seeing at least nearly double figures of jewels between <laughs> Obi-Wan, Anakin and Dooku? Why are we seeing this? But it's a test. It's a test that's been concocted by Sidious, and he wants to he wants to find out. He wants to discover how powerful is Anakin. Is he ready to assume the Sith mantle? And in episode two, nowhere, nowhere near ready. He rushes into that fight. Dooku force light uses force lightning. He's knocked out. And when they have their lightsaber duel, even Anakin with two lightsabers is knocked. Is, is well, he loses an arm, don't he? Yeah. <laughs> Within a couple of minutes. But now what we see here is a really close duel. And I think a lot of that, and the reason why it's so close, is because Anakin is delving into his dark side mode there. He's felt betrayed by the council. He doesn't trust them. And he and another another little line, a subtle line, which I thought was quite interesting, was Palpatine said, oh, and I'll attend Padme's banquet. And Anakin says, oh, Padme never mentioned that to me. Yeah. Again, doesn't trust. You know, <laughs> the idea of even his spouse not telling him, everything he wants to know he just feels out of the dark in so much and so when dooku shows up he is on full dark side fury mode there and he is he is close i mean when dooku holds that chair up and that lightsaber is not so far from his face and then and then and then the other moment the other visually stimulating moment the 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 highlight if you want to call it that of this duel is when Anakin and Obi-Wan have, uh, sorry, not Anakin and Obi-Wan, that's episode three. <laughs> when Anakin and Dooku, um, are fighting on the stairs and Dooku falls down on the stairs and Anakin is force, force grabs, well, it doesn't force grab him. He, he physically chokes him. He physically chokes Count Dooku. Yeah. Um, and with lightsaber in hand and you can see Sidious grinning there. He was not far off. And even if you're going to compare it to the duel that Anakin and Dooku have in, Let's say the um, Wars oh, movie. The episode of Boss Leone. Oh, uh, I forgot that now. Uh, Shadow um, Warrior. Oh, it's coming. It's, Shadow was Warrior. It, Shadow Warrior. How can we forget that? Shadow Warrior. I, but anyway, the, the jewel that they have in Shadow Warrior, Dooku has four Magna Guards around him, and it's a bit more of a struggle, but it's not as close. Whereas this one, Sidious at this point is looking at that and thinking, okay, he's not ready Sidious. yet, but he's not far off. And the difference from this fight compared to previous ones is the fact that Sidious is there in person. He's physically watching the fight. He's there. That's part of the reason he wants to be there is to actually see it himself because he can't just go out on the front lines and watch Count Dooku and Anakin have a face-off. He needs to put himself in that situation, which is what this whole plot was about. And I think that's what was so compelling to actually see... Uh, have Sidious there. Have Sidious, the individual, standing watching. Um, it was almost like a. It was like a physical test between two Sith, wasn't it? It's as though you two have to fight, and whoever wins will be my new Sith apprentice. Yeah. One, well, both of them, unbeknownst to it, though, of course. And Dooku expected to win and abduct the Chancellor, whereas Anakin has no idea that Palpatine is in fact the true Sith Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and I mean, I I agree. I think that was just a phenomenal fight. I, I loved, loved you know the use of of all sort of the props around them, the the chair and and the, and the cutlery and, and all that stuff. I thought that was it was an interesting uh, spin to put on the fight. Uh, but you mentioned something, and and I kind of want to bring this up because I think there is you know I mentioned the box maybe being a bit of a plot hole. We we kind of we found an answer for this. Um, I think there's another 
plot hole that I think we should that I'd, I'd like to get your take on. See if you thought of this. Um, you mentioned the the banquet, and clearly there is no banquet. Clearly, this is something that the Dooku has set up or that Palpatine has set up. And Anakin mentions that 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 Padme never told him about a banquet. And so then they go to this this banquet. Wouldn't there be a question of how the Chancellor knew about the banquet or how the Chancellor got an invite to a banquet that wasn't happening? I mean, they, I guess they could say it was Dooku who, who sent that message, who he hacked, he hacked the, uh, the Naboo communications and sent the message, which I guess, I mean, that works as an explanation. Never mind. I found the answer. Never mind. Not a plot. But also, I think that the fight with Dooku and everything that's happened since then, it would be more than enough of a distraction for the, at least Anakin, don't forget, he's only told Anakin. It's right. not as if he's told Mace Windu or somebody else. Sure. And Anakin, but don't forget, he doesn't trust the Jedi Council. That's what was evident mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he would even want to divulge that information. Um, and he but, sees uh, him more as a mentor. And he knows that, as Palpatine was Senator of Naboo, he and Padme would have this close relationship as well. I don't, I don't think that... I, I think it can be retconned, is the way to put it. I don't think that it's so folly um that we that we can't find some way of actually justifying sure. why anakin wouldn't have told the council or anyone else about this um granted he, he does divulge the information to the jedi the palpatine's a sith lord but that's something completely different and at this stage there's no clear indication of that as you said it could easily be seen as a hacking job by count dooku yeah um so uh, I would say that it can it can be retconned. Yeah, but I'm, gonna, that's, I'm going that's, with the, I'm going with the hacking from oh, sorry, Dooku. Jumping, I, I'm just saying I'm going with the hacking from Dooku. That's, that's the explanation I'm, I'm sticking hacking. with. Yeah, is, it, is that like phone hacking in our society today? I, I that, that's probably what they could yeah. say. Comlink hacking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's more like he 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 uh, he stole somebody's password and, and got into Padme's email address and yeah. and and sent 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 Palpatine a, a space email. <laughs> he decrypted Padme's email address or, and just yeah. said, "Oh, here we go." Or at least Thanks that's that's what, that's what that's what that's Palpatine what Palpatine would would like. tell people happened. You know, he he would tell people exactly. that he got this communication and oh oh it must have been Dooku who, who hacked into somebody's account. Everybody change your passwords. Everybody change your passwords. And no, password one two three is not a good answer. <laughs> oh, Touche. Well said, my friend. <laughs> Be like in Spaceballs. <laughs> password as one two oh, three gosh. four five that's the kind of password an idiot would put on his luggage <laughs> amazing amazing and that's that's really all the points i have to say about this episode before we move on to quotes but do you have anything you want to add at all dominic to the discussion no i think you really i think we've, we've hit on pretty much everything um yeah. That, it's, it is a significant that, arc. Yeah, it's isn't a significant it, really? I mean, arc. The amount of I, stuff I, that we talked about. There's one thing I do want to bring up, um, and that's the the shadow holograms. Um, because I remember when this episode first came out, and and that technology was revealed and to exist in the Star Wars galaxy, there was some question about like convenient, overly convenient technology existing because we've never seen holograms like this in the in the star wars galaxy that are that real you know that look like that you know holograms are generally you know some blue blue shadow blue see-through kind of guy you know you know like what we see with leia in episode four or, or countless times in the prequels or, or luke's luke's message to jabba you know i present to you a gift these two droids you know that that whole scene and, and so to see then see these holograms that are 
real that like they they look like that's that they these bounty hunters take on the on the appearance of these uh these royal guards or these guards it, it does kind of it does it is a bit it it does seem a bit too convenient that all of a sudden that technology exists when we've never seen holograms working like that before i i do wonder about that and you know like embo's hat disappears when he steps into the the hologram it it, it, it you know it, it, it it's it's cool and it and it works in the story but i i just you know i want to bring this up because i remember this being a, a discussion point back you know in 2000 i guess that would be 2000 11 2012 2012 yeah 2012 when this stuff was coming out so i do remember it that that kind of that coming up and and thinking you know as, as much as i do like this arc and, and this was generally this was brought up by people who 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 more or less didn't like the arc and i think we're we're looking for more reasons to to not like it but i do think this is kind of a, a, a an interesting thing to bring up because it is a it i do think it is there's there's some validity to this point um that you know you know, it is, isn't that a bit convenient that all of a sudden we have this hologram technology that works this way when we've never heard of it before and, it, and we've never even seen holograms working anything like it before? Yeah, I, so, I would. I, I do understand the sentiments there from people that this is far too convenient. But I, I thought still it was an enjoyable part of the storyline and we never really see it again. But mm. I, I, I Again, there are ways to retcon it. You could say, well, in the age of the empire, maybe these were you know, banned or they were confiscated. Um, I mean, as you said, we don't. You see, if we compare the the universe of the old trilogy compared uh, and to the prequel trilogy, people will say, well, why does the prequel trilogy look so more modern and advanced than what we see in in the, the original trilogy? Well, that's because they're different time zones and. Um, with you've got the age of the republic and then the age of the empire of course it's going to be different so yeah. i think there are there are ways to wreck on that but you know i think it's, it's an interesting point you raised there that i can understand some people's thoughts and, and inclinations towards the fact this was quite convenient yeah and but i oh, do did you want to add anything dominic well yeah i was just going to say i i, I think uh i you know so that it doesn't feel so convenient it would be nice for it to show up in like another another story somewhere it doesn't have to show up in a movie but maybe if it shows up in a book or something so it doesn't feel like a, it was this was that one thing that happened that one time and nobody ever talked about it again i, I yeah. think it would it would be worth just including it even in even just as a as a in in just a couple of scenes in a couple of novels here and there yeah. where you don't actually have to see it you can just describe it um, and, and, you know, like, like that technology wasn't perfect. I noticed sort of in this, anytime they, they made contact with something solid, that's when it flickered. And I, I think that, you know, that, that's cool. It does sort of show that it's not perfect, that it's not this perfect technology. Um, and so I, I think that was kind of interesting as well, but I would like to see it either, I would like to see it used again. So it doesn't feel like, you know, that one thing that happened that one time and then we all forgot about it. Um, and hopefully somebody does. Hopefully it does show up in a book or a comic. Very, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's used all the time. In fact, I'd prefer if it wasn't used all the time. But again, I'd, I'd just just to add to lend a little bit more uh, validity to it. I'd like to see it show up a couple more times. And you know, with with you know, Disney said you know what Star Wars has a forty year um, useful lifespan at least. You know, some point over the next forty years, surely somebody who saw this episode and loved the concept will get to write a story and will include it. At least I, I hope. 
at least I hope. But yeah, that was that was the only thing, the only other thing I really wanted to bring up. I thought it would be worth mentioning that. But uh, if if that's it, then why don't we transition to quotes? Let's do it. Let's do it. And as we're switching roles, we might as well have Dominic go first. Oh, this I'm time going to go myself. first <laughs> and okay. see how organized you are. Well, you no, always I, I... ask myself. That. <laughs> um, oops. Uh, well, okay. I'm going to start off with a. Quote. Are you ready? I am, are you ready? I am ready. I am ready. I am ready. I, I've, I got my notes here on my phone. I'm looking at them. I see my quotes that I, I picked out. I accidentally, I accidentally opened my notes for 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 Rogers of Westeros at first. Like, whoops, <laughs> nope, don't want those. I was like, the other, okay, here's my quote. The only, th- what do we say to the God of Death? No, wait, wrong thing. Um, <laughs> no, uh, this quote from from Obi Wan that that he says. Um, I mean, when we first see him after the whole funeral experience, he goes, oh, so how was my funeral? And Yoda says, oh, mm, a better performance than you, your corpse gave. I quite like that sequence. <laughs> I thought that was good. Um, uh, here, I'll throw it back over to you for a quote from, I guess, Deception. Yeah, this one, Ashley Eckstein says this, and not as a soaker, actually, but it's when Reiko Hardin comes into the bar and there's just that little snide comment of saying, ooh, I want to check his midichlorian count. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, I that thought was, was just fantastic. That was an and that's, that's 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 quite the pickup line. What's your Metachlorian count? <laughs> I know. If you're yeah, going to, you know, it's it's so fitting though, in the Star Wars universe, is yeah, it not? Yeah, exactly. If you're going to the uh, the speed dating at, at at Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, I I dare anybody to use that to have that be their opening line and then um, write into us here uh, and let us know how it worked out. <laughs> Well, yeah, you can try. Listeners can try it. I'm, me and Dominic probably won't. No, I, no, I guess. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure. anybody listening? I'm not to. sure. I won't remember saying it at least if I do. So, <laughs> um, anyhow, Dominic, I'll throw it to you quickly. Yeah, um, so from th- friends and enemies. From friends and enemies, uh, I, I really quite like this. Is this is a line between Anakin and, and Palpatine? We've we, we've talked about this scene a lot because it was such an important scene, uh, and it's when. When when Palpatine gives Anakin permission to go after uh, Hardin and Bane and 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 Morale Fall, and Anakin says, "Thank you, Chancellor. You won't regret regret this." And Palpatine goes, "No, I won't." And I just thought it was such a chilling line, and it and it gives you that, and you know, it's one of those those things when you go back and watch this thing as a as a whole as a four part thing, one right after the other, you get you realize really realize how important this scene is and how much this relates to what we saw in Revenge of the Sith. Absolutely. And the one I have from Friends and Enemies is Cad Bane at the end of the episode when he's talking to Ahsoka and he says, you're lucky we're in a hurry, little lady. We'll have to dance another time. Yes, exactly. It's a great line. <laughs> Again by Cad Bane. Just, oh, this guy is just too, too cool for yeah. for the Star Wars universe. Well, no, he is cool. He's cool enough for the Star Wars universe, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> but throw it over to you, Dominic. Yeah. Quote from the box. Well, I don't have one from the box, but I have two from Crisis on Naboo. So I'm going to go with one my from Crisis on Naboo. On, from Crisis on Naboo, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a Morallo Evol line. He says it's when he says, "How dare you disrespect Morallo Evol?" I love that line. I love the way he referred to himself in the third person the whole time. I thought that was a great touch. Um, I don't know whether that was that was written in the script by Brent Friedman or or, or if Stephen came up with that or if Dave Filoni if that was Dave Filoni's idea. Whoever's idea it was. Uh, was, it was a, a phenomenal idea and a, a great sort of little thing to add to his character. But I'll throw it back over to you for a quote from the box. Yeah, this is another echo to the saga, namely the Empire Strikes Back, when Yoda is talking with Anakin in that council 
mm. a little council hut or whatever you want to call that place. And he says, if you leave, help him you could. But his future, uncertain is, trust Obi-Wan, we must. Mm-hmm. I just, again, it's just the echoes of Yoda talking to Luke and saying exactly the same thing to Anakin, Luke's father, I just thought was fantastic. And yeah. the final Crisis on the Boo quote then. Yeah. Well, what have you got, Dominic? It's, it's, it's a Palpatine line, and it's when they walk into uh, the banquet hall and see Dooku there, and Palpatine goes, my gracious, it's a trap! <laughs> you know, he's bringing back the classic, it's a trap, and to have Palpatine say it, and to have it said in such a way that is such the polar opposite of the way Akbar says it in Return of the Jedi, I thought was uh, was very well done. Absolutely. And the final one that I have, is a quote from Palpatine as well. Nice. I love Palpatine. And it's the final the final line in this arc. How apt that we say this at the end. And it's the line where he says, one shudders to think where the galaxy would be without the Jedi. Yeah. Ominous. <laughs> Foreboding. Yeah. I like it. And that's Palpatine in a nutshell. So let's round off then, Dominic, our final thoughts. Well, score out of 10, yeah. Score out of 10. Dominic, over to you. All right. So for uh, this arc, I will give it a 7.5 out of 10. I, I really, really, really like it, but there are a, a few things. You know what? I'm going to raise it up to an 8.5. I, 7.5 is too low. It's an 8.5. I really like it. I, I have some, some questions about the, the technology and that kind of, kind of, uh, got to me a little bit. And, but overall, it's, it's a fun, fun arc, uh, with a lot of interesting things about, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Uh, their relationship and doing this this whole story about how Anakin could have turned to the dark side, you know, probably several months earlier, uh, and and how it was avoided, and I think that was a really cool idea. And to tell that story mostly from Obi Wan's perspective, and to have the whole story kind of pull a Palpatine on you, where you think it's going to be one thing, and then it turns out to be something completely other and something completely different. I thought that was such a great idea. Um, also, I love the action sequence in Friends and Enemies. When, when Ahsoka and Anakin go after, uh, Draco Hardin, Cad Bane, and, and Morale Rival, and they're doing the, the sequence with the ships crashing into each other, and then Anakin and Obi-Wan, uh, go down, uh, or go, um, and are facing off with each other, or, bleh, where Anakin and, and Obi-Wan have their, their little fight, and, 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 and Obi-Wan catch, ca- catches Anakin, and he sort of whispers into his, into his ear about, you know, don't, don't say anything, or, you know, don't stop coming after me. And, you know, just seeing Anakin versus Bane as well was really cool. And when Ahsoka jumps up and to save Anakin there, uh, this, that whole action sequence was great. Uh, the duel with Dooku was phenomenal. The box was cool. Uh, really great vocal performance by James Arnold Taylor. Um, you know, he did, does this amazing thing where he, he, he's doing a different voice for Obi-Wan, but it's still Obi-Wan. You know, when he's playing Rachel Hardeen, there are times when, you know, when he's being Obi-Wan, these, these lines are coming out. They sound like Ray Cohardine, but you can also tell, but they're said like they're Obi-Wan lines. And I think thought that was just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it was interesting to go back to Naboo and see that whole, whole ceremony. Um, a little bit of history of Naboo there. It was good to see some Gungans were invited as well. Apparently that was a last minute addition to the, uh, to the episode, but, uh, it was a smart one. And yeah, overall, just a solid 8.5 out of 10 for me. Okay, a quick summary from me. I'm going to say this arc is going to have a score of 9 out of 10. So, so good. I love Cad Bane in this arc, one of my favourite characters, and I do love the plot twist right at the end there. As we said at the beginning, we think it's a bounty hunter-centric arc. No, it's not. It's centred on Palpatine. It's centred on Anakin and their relationship and how 
they're going, how Palpatine is trying to seduce and court Anakin to the dark side in the same way that you could argue, uh, well, well, uh, the similar way to what we see in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. But what's great about this is we see it from the perspective of the bounty hunters and the Jedi. And so we don't see too many of the of those meetings between Anakin and Palpatine, but we know they're there and it was just tangibly felt in this particular arc. So nine out of ten. All right, so that is going to wrap things up for this week. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. We'll be back in about three weeks' time when we talk about the Darth Maul arc, the finale. We have some great things in store for that. We're working on them, and hopefully they will come to fruition, and that is going to be – because that is a huge arc, and that is going to be a huge show to go with it. Uh, Garrett, why don't you start out – why don't you let the people know what is coming up on Expression FM this week? This is absolutely fantastic. Expression FM this week is going to be so busy again. We've got Expression Sport on Saturdays, 12, 11 till 2 p.m. GMT time. And this week in particular is fascinating because at the university, we've got something called the Guild Elections Week. And what that means is that the student body that represents our university, they're going through the same election process that governments do, and they appoint four new uh, vice presidents to this guild uh, to this guild organization and it's it's going to be absolutely jam-packed basically people will be out there trying to get your votes in so as you walk up to university campus constant flyers there'll be constant barrages of sweets and whatever they're trying to do to court us to vote for them and it's going to be absolutely mad and so so much fun but yep expression fm busy as always please do tune in if you can and the way to do that is on Facebook page, www.expression.fm. That is the website and the Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash expressionfm. And the Twitter handle is at expressionfm. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, if you want to catch up, catch our other show, that is our Game of Thrones podcast, which we've mentioned a couple times during the show. That is the Watchers of Westeros. You can search for that uh, on iTunes, Watchers of Westeros. Uh, subscribe there. Leave us a review. We'd love that. And, of course, uh find us on facebook facebook.com slash watchers of westeros there are links there to everything you need to know about that show so you can never miss an episode that show is released weekly um I, of course i also want to let you know about what's coming up on the star wars underworld podcast this week we will be talking about the clone wars episode call to action uh it will be or not clone wars episode of course rebels episode call to action a uh, huge episode with huge ramifications uh very fun and uh it's going to be a great show you can catch that uh, on channel 1138.com recorded live Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern and then released on iTunes and on StarWarsUnderworld.com late uh, on Friday. Of course, we want to let you know we want. Of course, if you want to keep up with this show, be sure to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Clone Wars Strikes Back um, or just search the Clone Wars Strikes Back. Follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back. You can follow me on Twitter at DominicJ25. You can follow Kieran on Twitter at CDuggan6. And you can follow the Watchers of Westeros on Twitter at Watcher Westeros. Of course, I had to throw that one in there as well. So, uh, uh, of course, we also want to remind you to s- s- subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed. That's where you will find Star Wars Underworld Podcast and this show. You get two for the price of one, and that price is absolutely free. So, again, thank you everybody so much for listening. For everyone here at the Clone Wars Strikes Back, we'll see you real soon, and may the Force be with you.